0: My guest today says that almost everything you think you know about sin is wrong, including what is sin and what it isn't, why you sin even as a Christian, what it means if you keep struggling with the same sin, and how to stop. Get ready to win your tug of war with sin. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and we are all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and we're here to do it every single week with a live online audience. It's Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central. I'd love for you to join us live sometime, kylewinkler.org slash live. Well, today is something special. I am honored to introduce a guest to you that shares such a similar heart as mine and such a similar message too. I know you're going to love him. Let me Introduce him to you and then I'll bring him on the show. Dr. Andrew Farley is the lead pastor of the Grace Church in Dallas, Texas. He serves as president of the Grace Message, which he hosts a live call in radio program every weeknight on Sirius XM Radio. He's the best selling author of nine books so far. One of them we're going to be talking about, which is titled The Grace Message. Is the gospel really this good? Dr. Farley, obviously. Grace is your subject. And before we get to talking about it, I want to just read a quote about grace from your book. You say, grace is a word we all know, yet we so often fail to really believe in what it means. Grace is both essential and dazzling. It raises eyebrows, it begs questions. We're gonna talk about some of those questions that it begs. You say, grace turns everything upside down. And I think people are going to understand why you say that by the end of this interview here, but I want to hear from you first. What is so upside down about this grace message, grace theology, this message that you've devoted your life to compared to the gospel that a lot of other people, I think probably most Christians hear and are trying their best to follow.
1: Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you today. And as far as uh, God's grace, Kyle, I mean, uh, my goodness, uh, you look at what we believe as Christians, and it's already unfair right at the start. Uh, We get everything for free. We get forgiveness for free. We get to be righteous for free. Uh, We go to heaven for free at no cost to us because it costs Jesus everything. So grace is really, really unfair Uh, and I'm thankful for that. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Uh, In Christ, we get what Jesus deserves. And so that's what I mean by everything's upside down. But I think that uh, we're saved, and then whether it's five days, five months, or five decades later, uh, something happens. Uh, We encounter some teaching that confuses us. Uh, We get off on a tangent. We're easily distracted. Next thing you know, we're glad we're going to heaven, but we're pretty sure that God is ticked off at us. Uh, We're pretty sure that, you know, we fell out of his will or we fell out of fellowship or he's not going to bless us anymore. Or we've got uh, generational curses or, oh, my goodness, I could go down the list and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Absolutely. These sort of things are pervasive in Christian culture. Uh, and basically, the idea is then that we started by grace, and then somehow we're supposed to finish another way and maintain it by what we do. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, uh, here's the most subtle legalism of today: uh, Are you spending enough time with God? Uh, we hear Did that you read your Bible long enough. All of that, right? Right, and that's that's all over the place. And yet, here's here's the truth. I mean. Spending time with God, there's a deeper message than that. And that is that you're in union with Christ 24 7 without interruption. You're one with Jesus wherever you go. Everything is spiritual. You're always in Him. He's always in you. So I think legalism is just kind of puny and pathetic in a way compared to the depths and riches of the real message. And and that's what I'm talking about in the grace message. I'm saying, Uh, Life is way too short to miss out on God's very best. And the gospel is not just good news, it's great news. I love how you say
0: in your book that the grace message is, is a high octane message, because I think, I know I hear it a lot. We get people that say, why don't you get on to something else? Why don't you get into a deeper message? Talk about the spiritual disciplines. What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there aren't any spiritual disciplines. That's made up jargon. I mean, we literally made it up. You don't find it in the Bible. Uh, What you find is that praying is talking to your father. Imagine if you told your dad, uh, hey, dad, I I really don't want to talk to you, but don't worry, I'm going to discipline myself to talk to you. Uh, (laughs) Imagine if he wrote you a letter while he was away on a trip and you said, hey, dad, I really don't want to read this letter, but you know, they're telling me I got to discipline myself to read it, so I guess I'll look at it tonight for 20 minutes. You know, it's just, uh, it's just a psychology that we have taught. It's a legalistic psychology and mentality, and it's like we're blinded by it. Once you get into that stuff, you can't see that the gospel really is way better than all of that nonsense.
0: What you're really confronting through your ministry and in this book the grace message is performance based christianity and i know that most people who were in performance based christianity like yourself and myself for a long time there comes to be this moment i think where it's almost like an aha moment to where we realize wait a minute this isn't working <laughs> this is this is only actually frustrating us far more it's not making us better that's for sure we're not sinning less because of it either I had that kind of aha moment in my mid-20s in my apartment when I was kind of brought face-to-face with the cross and the finished work of Christ. What was that moment for you when you realized, wait a minute, this isn't working, there's got to be something else?
1: Yeah, I was 19 years old and I was on the floor begging God for answers. Kyle, I was saying... God, I'm doing everything they said to do. I mean, I'm I'm sharing my faith with every single person that I meet, whether they want to hear it or not, they're going to hear it. <laughs> and I'm in church every time the doors are open. Uh, I'm reading my Bible four and five hours a day, and yet I still don't feel like I'm growing spiritually. So, I mean, where did I go wrong here? My formula is broken, God. So, so help me, show me, and I mean, Kyle, it wasn't a lightning bolt out of heaven. It was more like uh, ten years of replacing mm-hmm. those old thoughts with new thoughts. And at the at the center of that uh, was God's grace, and just understanding that grace goes beyond salvation. That you know you're you're immersed in grace, you're standing in grace. There's grace on your left and right. Uh, grace is what teaches us to say no to sin. Uh, Titus says so. Anybody who thinks we need to balance grace or that we need less grace, it's kind of like saying we need less victory over sin. I've heard
0: you say that the book of Hebrews was really an eye-opener for you. And I know that, that might sound strange to some people because the book of Hebrews doesn't seem to get a lot of attention from preachers. So what was it in, in your study of Hebrews? What, was there something that... that Really was eye opening to you?
1: Oh, yeah. So, I I mean, growing up, I thought the book of Hebrews was all about the Old Testament and the, the Levites and the sacrifices. So, why would I want to crack open that book? What a bore. Well, by the time I'm 19 and begging God for answers, He showcases the book of Hebrews to me for the first time. And as I dive deeply into it, I discover wait a minute, there's a lot of things in the Bible belt. That aren't in the Bible, you know a lot of things teach that are taught in the Bible belt that aren't really in our Bible, and so Hebrews showed me that because I discovered that I was forgiven once for all. uh I never knew that I thought I was forgiven little by little, I thought I was forgiven every time I apologized to God. I thought I had to you know first John one nine and get forgiven and cleansed every twenty two minutes or Or whatever. And so I began that process of kind of confessing under my breath all day long to try to get right and stay right and get back in God's good graces. And Hebrews showed me, wait a minute, Uh, you've been forgiven once for all. uh, Hebrews 10 14, by one sacrifice, you've been made perfect for all time. And that is an incredible truth that Christians are not being forgiven progressively, but that we're totally forgiven people. I mean, it's not like paying off your car or paying off your house. Uh, Jesus paid it all. We sing that stuff in church. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And then 20 minutes later in the parking lot, we're asking him if he'll forgive us for our sins. And that doesn't make any sense. It's like asking him to hang on the cross all over again. Uh, so he said it's finished. It's We call it the finished work of Christ for a reason uh, because we don't have to finish it. So. That was the biggest thing out of the book of Hebrews for me that shocked me and transformed my life forever.
0: That it was a once for all sacrifice for forever forgiveness. I remember in my relationship with the Lord, it was very transactional. I, it sounds strange to say it, but I almost kind of thought of like myself as a countertop and him as a bottle of Lysol, where every time I made a mess, I... I sprayed and tried to clean it up, except if your countertops are anything like mine, they don't stay clean for long. And so I I would always be asking, Lord, please cleanse me, please cleanse me. And it only frustrated me because I kept getting dirty, so to speak. But Hebrews, as you're saying, it's not talking about a temporary cleansing. It's talking about a complete undoing of sin, a complete undoing of a sin nature, really because yeah. of Jesus's once for all sacrifice and when people hear that i think that's where the criticism of the grace message is in that a lot of people hear that and they say well isn't that the goal of christianity to stop sinning i mean isn't isn't you saying that we are forever forgiven
1: undermining the goal of christianity to stop sinning i say no it's helping it's helping look at you you're a miserable wreck Uh, you don't think you're forgiven and you're sinning just fine you're sinning (laughs) just fine you're sinning just fine without the finished work of christ look at you you're asking for forgiveness 28 times a day hundreds of times a month and you're sinning just fine so what if we gave god's grace a chance You know, Titus 2 says the grace of God teaches us to say no to sin. And then Peter says, if you're lacking godly qualities, he says it's because you've forgotten your purification. So maybe we should remember our purification. Uh, You know, back in South Bend, uh, I lived in a house that had three bedrooms, and one of those bedrooms was our master. But the other two were, you know, one was for a guest, and then one was my office. Now, you talk about confessions— uh, my office was <laughs> filthy. My office was a wreck. And then that guest room was pristine and clean. So imagine you're, you're walking down the hallway of that house with a piece of garbage all balled up, ready to toss somewhere. Uh, where are you going to toss it? Are you going to toss it in the clean guest room or in my office? Well, of course, you know, the thought is I'm going to toss it in your office because it's already dirty. So why, why not throw one more on the pile? And so I would say to the Christian, hey, Christian, which room are you uh, when a sinful thought travels down the hallway of your mind? Which room are you? Because if you're that that uh, dirty office, then you know what? Why not just throw one more sin on the pile? But if you're that clean guest room, then you look at that sinful thought and you say, wait a minute, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I'm clean and I'm close to my God this doesn't fit. I remember growing up in the tradition that I did, we had to
0: memorize the 10 commandments before we could even read them, I think. And we had to practice regular confession and we were taught that the 10 commandments are something that tells us what sin is. And as a matter of fact, if, if like as a third grader or something, when we were confessing our sins, if we couldn't think of what did I do wrong in the last three months since my last confession, they would have us go through the Ten Commandments. Okay, well, I lied to my mom and dad and I, you know, on and on. But in your book, you you make a statement that I want you to explain here because I think it's so good. You say that our spiritual relationship with the Ten Commandments should be non-existent. How do we know what sin is and what sin isn't if we don't have law like the Ten Commandments?
1: Well, it's also the opposite. Imagine defining sin by the Ten Commandments. So Friday night emails are sin, and Saturday yard work is sin uh, because you're not keeping the Ten <laughs> Commandments. Yeah. So you know, you're, you you might love that Friday, <laughs> Friday or Saturday yard work is sin. You can tell your wife that. Uh, but seriously, I mean, you know, seriously, we start defining sin. Uh, by the Ten Commandments, and then the question is, why did we pick those? Why did we randomly pick those ten? There's not a verse, there's not a shred of evidence in the New Testament that we're allowed to dice up God's law into ten and get it the way we like it, discarding 603 laws at random. Uh, you know, James says if you keep the whole law and uh, and stumble in one point, you're guilty of all of it. And Galatians says, "Cursed is everyone who does not keep everything written in the book of the law. That's the whole Torah, all six hundred and thirteen commands. So the law is not choose your own adventure. uh the law is, <laughs> the law is not multiple choice. uh, the law is not a buffet line at the Chinese restaurant. I mean, the law is an all or nothing proposition. And when we realize that, then we say, okay, that's why I got to be dead to the law, free from the law, not under the law. Christ is the end of the law for all those who believe, Romans says. So, you know, getting to the core of your question then, I mean, the Ten Commandments is not an exception. Paul says in Second Corinthians 3, the Ten Commandments written on stone are a ministry of condemnation and death. And then in Romans seven, just think about Paul's struggle. His struggle was with coveting, and he was under a commandment, which commandment? It was thou shalt not covet. And what happened? Coveting of every kind. And then what's the solution? Apart from law, sin is dead, he says. So in context, what does he mean? He means get away from that covet command. Apart from the 10 commandments, apart from the coveting law, sin is dead. So how are we going to define sin today? Well, how about by looking to the New Testament and say that anything that is not of faith is sin. It's all about dependency on Jesus. You could give a million dollars to charity and it could be prideful sin. So we need a better definition than 613 laws of Judaism. We need to know that anything that's not in dependency on Christ, that's what sin is. So let's walk by his spirit. First John three twenty three says it there, that is belief and it's loving one another, right? Yep. Those are the commands that are written on our hearts. I mean, we don't have, I, I've heard it all my life. You know, Christians many times will say, oh yeah, 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 we're dead to the law, but the law is written on our heart. And right. you just want to say, wait a minute, you got no- As shell-
0: 613 laws are written on our
1: hearts, right? Right. I mean, you got no shellfish written on your heart. You got <laughs> right. no pork, no sloppy joes written on your heart. I mean, it's pretty clear- that it's these New Testament commands, believe and love, that's what's etched on the lining of our new hearts. So
0: obviously, in grace theology, we're not talking about that God does not care if we are addicted to something or if we are doing or involved in destructive behaviors, whether that's to ourselves or to someone else. That's, that's not the message here. Right. Right. So for somebody that says, and I get these emails all the time, I'm sure you do too. For somebody that says, I'm really struggling with name the addiction, mm-hmm. name the issue. How does grace respond to that?
1: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's use pornography as an example, uh, a pornography addiction, you know? Uh, so grace is, is everything we've been talking about, but so much more. Grace is not just forgiveness for when you fail. Uh, by grace, you got a new heart. By grace, uh, Romans 6 says, you became obedient from the heart. So that means that you had a heart surgery. He ripped out your heart of stone, gave you a new one. And guess what? Your new heart hates pornography. Your new heart is loving and self-controlled. You've got a new heart and a new spirit and God's spirit living in you. So the answer to sin the answer to the temptation of sin is not to sit around and say, you know, I guess I'm not forgiven. I guess I'm not cleansed. You know, if I could just uh, uh, balance the, the forgiveness a little bit and beat myself up. I mean, that's, that's not an answer. Let's take the forgiveness, but let's let the cross speak even further. And the cross says you're dead to sin. You're alive to God. God. You don't want to sin anymore. I think the biggest lie that Christians believe about themselves is that they want to sin. Uh, we're, we're slaves of righteousness. On that point, somebody says, okay,
0: if, if I'm dead to sin, and, and Paul clearly says that our sin nature is cut out of us, so why do we sin?
1: Yeah, so it, it's, uh, it really comes down to two things. There's something called the flesh, which I'll just uh, refer to as stinking thinking. I mean, it's kind of like uh, right now I'm on this uh, Apple MacBook with you uh, corresponding over the Internet. And I bought this thing maybe two years ago. And I remember the day I brought it home. It was shiny and silver and new. But Kyle, I owned it for like five minutes and it said I needed a software update. And I'm like, I paid over $1,000 for this thing. And you're telling me I need a software update. But that's the difference between hardware and software. And so I think what scripture is teaching is we've got the new hardware in our heart. We've got new hardware, but we're still getting software updates up here in the renewing of the mind. I think we Christians get this backwards. We say, I've got it all up here. I just need to get it down here. And we're talking about our feelings. But the truth is, we've got it all down here. We've got the new heart. We've got the new spirit. We've got God's spirit. But what's happening daily is up here with the renewing of the mind. So all of those unrenewed mindsets where we need to learn and grow that's what the flesh is doing, operating there to, to hold us back, old ways of thinking and old ways of acting. And the last thing I would say is, it's not just about old patterns. Uh, there's a parasite. Uh, there's something at work in us called the power of sin. It's in us, operating in us, but it's not us. Uh, you know, it's like- It doesn't a, define us anymore. It doesn't define it. We're not slaves to it, but it can still give us a thought. You know, it's like a splinter. I mean, you you rub your hand down a wood fence or something, you get a splinter in your hand. But if you don't know it's there, if it's buried so deep that you don't you don't know it's there, then you go see a doctor. He says, you know, Andrew, I I, I guess uh, we're gonna have to operate. We're gonna have to amputate your finger. Your finger's the problem. You say, oh wait a wait a minute, I'm gonna get a second opinion. You go to another doctor. <laughs> He says, no, Andrew, it's not your finger. It's not you. It's something in you that's not you. And here it is, and we found it. So that's what Paul is saying. He says two times in Romans 7, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. And I think if we Christians knew that there was a parasitic force at work against us, then we could reinterpret our whole thought life and stop beating ourselves up. Uh, for every thought that hits our brain. So what I'm
0: hearing you say is that rather than address sin by, I got to stop this, I can't do that, and really putting ourselves under a thousand and one different laws, you know, I found that any, and it doesn't even have to be something that's spelled out in the 613, any, any have to is a law, and when a have to becomes I didn't, then sometimes We tend to put ourselves under condemnation and feel like God is mad at us and therefore he's angry
1: with us. And that kind of pressure doesn't do any good for anybody. Right, yeah. So think about the same trust that you had when you got saved. You said, Lord Jesus Christ, I can't save myself. Only you can save me and I'm gonna let you. And that was a moment of trust. And what I would say is what if you extended that out What if we decided that that same trust could be expressed this way, Lord Jesus Christ, I can't to fix myself, I can't fix my conduct, my behavior, my attitudes, I can't change what I'm doing, and especially not by rule keeping. So I can't fix myself, only you can, and I'm going to let you. You're my life, you're my righteousness, you're my everything, and I trust you today. So it's the same thing as getting saved. It's that trust that we have within us. But instead of trusting Moses, we're going to trust Jesus. So somebody
0: I know is thinking, but what if I die while I'm waiting for Jesus to fix me? What happens?
1: Yeah. Well, we're talking about attitudes and actions, and none of those go to heaven. You go to heaven. So God is not fixing who you are, but he is fixing how you think and how you act. And I think that's an important distinction because you go to heaven, you're heaven ready. If Jesus returns right now and tears open the sky and comes to get you, he's not going to say, oh, wait a minute, Kyle's only 50% ready for heaven. Let me, let me get out my Windex and to see if I can uh, squeegee him off a little bit with a last minute polish. And so that's where we gotta be careful because we start talking about progressive sanctification and all this stuff where we're progressively bettering ourselves. Uh, That's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is you're a saint, you're set apart, you're heaven ready, you're ready to go. God loves you and likes you and you're the same you that will be in heaven. Now, the only thing new that you're getting in heaven is a resurrection body. The scripture doesn't say you're getting a new soul because you're not. The scripture doesn't say you're getting a new spirit because you're not. You're already who you need to be. So you're heaven ready, uh, but God is working on our attitudes and actions. That's not rejection. That's love. So the message
0: that you're saying here, it's not stop this, don't do that. When it comes to sin, it's really identify with your new identity.
1: Yeah, it's like this morning, you know, I decided to put some clothes on and I decided to wear the sizes that fit. Uh, You know, it's like that program, uh, What Not to Wear, that was on in Britain for so long. They give you a budget, they raid your closet, they tell you this looks horrible. Then they say, let's go shopping. And by the end of the program, you got a whole new wardrobe. Well, that's what God is saying. He's saying, put off bitterness put off resentment, put on love, put on Christ. And he even says, Paul even says, do what is fitting for saints. So let's wear clothes that fit because look at you, you're gorgeous. You're spiritually gorgeous on the inside. So let's wear clothes on the outside that make you look great. Oh, perfectly said. Well, would you close us in prayer, Dr.
0: Farley? I know there are people that are saying, I wanna get what you're saying. I wanna get this grace, I wanna get out of the frustration of trying to get something from God. Would you pray for them
1: right now? Sure, Father, we, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to brag on Jesus. We thank you that it is a finished work and that we don't have to finish it. So right now as the body of Christ, with you as our witness, we confess that we are totally forgiven people. We confess that we are the righteousness of God we confess that you have made us clean and close by your work, not ours. And all we can do, Father, is say, Wow, and thank you. We are so grateful for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Dr. Farley.
0: You know, as we said at the beginning, grace begs a lot of questions, especially when we're talking about a topic like sin. Maybe you wonder, what about confession of sin? Don't I need to ask God to forgive me after I sin? What about certain commandments like honoring the Sabbath day? There's so much that we couldn't cover here, but Dr. Farley does in his book, The Grace Message, in his typical no-nonsense style, he answers the big questions in a way that just makes sense. You'll be reading and thinking, Why didn't I think of that before? And you will gain more and more freedom with every page turn. I can't say this any stronger. The grace message is a must read for every Christian. And I want you to get the message. That's why we're making it available through a special offer that includes Dr. Farley's eight lesson downloadable video series, Clean and Close, How to Enjoy Perfect Peace with God. I love it. Every lesson is short and engaging, and you can start it today while you wait for the book to arrive. This is a dynamite bundle that you can't get anywhere else, and it's only available for a limited time. So don't wait. Get Doctor Farley's The Grace Message with his clean and close eight-lesson downloadable video series right now on my website at kylewinkler.org/slash/the-grace-message. That's kylewinkler.org/slash. The grace message. Of course, Dr. Farley is all over the internet, so please connect with him on his website at andrewfarley.org. On his mobile app, just search Andrew Farley in your app store or tune in to his weeknight radio program at 8 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM channel 131. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.